Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, yesterday was the, this whole year is the tricentennial of New Orleans, Louisiana. But uh, as I learned yesterday, yesterday, April 21st, was uh, apparently the the actual day that uh, French explorers, liberators, well, yeah, right, um, founded the settlement uh, at that uh, particular spot on the Mississippi River that uh, has become New Orleans, Louisiana. 300 years ago they did that. And um, I, I had no idea they did it on uh, April 21st. Apparently, that was um, that was the day that was most propitious in terms of it being springtime and the high water on the river and them seeing that that was a, a, an advantageous trade position. Or they just were looking for the best possible place to celebrate Record Store Day. Hello, welcome to the show. to call me on my cell phone Late night when you need my love Call me on my cell phone Late night when you need my love Cause I know when that hotline bling That can only mean one thing I know when that hotline bling that can only mean one thing Ever since I left the city You got a reputation for yourself now Everybody knows it and I'm left out Oh, you got me down, you got me stressed out Cause Ever since I left the city You, oh, it started going out more Champagne on the dance floor Hanging with those girls I've never seen before You used to call me on my cell phone Late night when you need my love Call me on my cell phone Late night when you need my I know when that hotline bling can only mean one thing. I know when that hotline bling can only mean one thing. And ever since I left the city, you, you and me, well, we just don't get along. You make me feel like I did you wrong. Going places where you don't belong Well, ever since I left the city you, you got exactly what you asked for Running out of pages in your passport Hanging with some girls I've never seen before 
So call me on my cell phone 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 When you need My love From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're number one. Yes, we are. We being this this state that I'm broadcasting from today, California. You know, people in California think that uh, because of all the anti-pollution efforts started here and opposed by the federal government, but put into practice here, Still, that fight is still going on. People have assumed that because of all that, California's kind of licked this pollution thing. If you lick the pollution thing, you're going to get sick. But California, it turns out, has the most polluted cities in the United States, according to a report issued this week, published by fizz.org, with a P, not not the soft drink organization. The study was published actually by the American Lung Association, which covers the period from 2014 to 2016, and Los Angeles remained the city with the worst ozone population and ranked fourth in terms of year-round particle contamination. So whenever you want to come and visit, there'll be plenty of particles for you. Bakersfield, number two for ozone, also maintained its position as the city. It's a term of art here, ladies and gentlemen, calling Bakersfield. No, I'm sure it's a city by now, with the worst short-term particle pollution. That city, Bakersfield, and nearby Fresno and Visalia, hey, make a day of it, visit them all, are subject to emissions from the powerful agricultural and petroleum industries. But they don't do anything. San Diego and San Clemente were also among the most contaminated by ozone. San Diego, ladies and gentlemen, which brags about having the best climate in the country, if you don't, if you don't count the ozone. Outside of California, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Denver, New York, and Houston had the worst ozone pollution. Worst particle pollution year-round? Pittsburgh, Lancaster, and Philadelphia, all in Pennsylvania, along with Cleveland, oh no, not again, Indianapolis, and Detroit. So, yes, speaking from California, we are number one. And in case you were thinking that Rupert Murdoch and his sons, after they sell most of Fox to Disney are going to be sitting around with nothing to do. Au contraire, my frere. News of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Once the Disney acquisition of most of 21st Century Fox goes through, according to a lengthy Disney filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Rupert Murdoch will get a golden parachute of $66.7 million, about 40 of it coming in cash. They're going to send the big truck. So Rupert will uh, be spending his time trying to figure out how to spend his money. His eldest son, Lachlan, executive chairman of 21st Century Fox. Hey, Lachlan, how are you? Nice to see you. I'm not actually seeing you. Could get $69.1 million after the merger is completed. Now, only $25 million in cash, the rest in stock. He also has um, $1.2 million in pension coming to him, which his father doesn't have. I don't know how that worked out. His father is older than him. That's why he's his father. 
James Murdoch, a Fox CEO, really does best in the family. This is going to start all sorts of quarrels, I know. I'm available to mediate. $70.6 million. His breakdown between cash and, and stocks is the same as Lachlan, but his pension payout is a, a million and a half higher. Well, he's older. And all three of the Murdochs get an additional benefits, sum of $15,000. They might leave that on the table. If for some reason Lachlan or James is fired before June of this year, that former executive will get $22 million in cash six months later. As just, you know, a lovely parting gift because the dozen ship and shore blouses weren't available. News of Nice Corp, ladies and gentlemen, nice people doing nice things. And now, it's time for me to read the trades for you. It's this thing I do, this from Education Week. Thousands of Android mobile apps improperly track children. I have no idea what that does has to do with education, but I'll, I'll read it for you, and you know what? We'll both find out, won't we? Thousands of free apps available in the Google Play Store are potentially violating a major federal data privacy law intended to protect children from online tracking, not fracking, according to a new study published by researchers affiliated with the International Computer Science Institute. Quote, these problems are rampant, and it's resulting in kids being exposed to targeted advertising and automatic profiling that could be illegal. Unquote Serge Eagleman, the co-author of the report, he's the director of usable security and privacy, privacy research at that institute, which is connected with UC Berkeley. The study is titled, Won't Somebody Think of the Children? It was published in the scholarly journal Proceedings on Privacy-Enhancing Technologies. I read it for the articles. The researchers' findings highlight rising concerns over companies' widespread collection and sharing of sensitive user information, often for advertising purposes. You've heard about that. The study also highlights ongoing uncertainty over the scope of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, known as COPPA. No, don't go there. The law guided Eagleman and his fellow researchers as they developed a new automated process to review the inner workings of more than 5,000, nearly 6,000 popular Android apps that were marketed for families and children in the Play Store between November 2016 and March 2018. They were trying to determine if the apps were engaged in potential violations of that law, COPPA, don't, which limits companies' ability to collect and share sensitive online information about children under 13. They found 5% of the apps included in the study collected users' location or contact data, your phone number, your email address, without first obtaining parental consent. 1,100 of the apps, that's 19%, shared sensitive information with third-party services whose terms of service explicitly prohibited their use in children's apps most likely because they're engaged in behavioral advertising. I wish advertising would behave. 2,200 apps, 39% of those studied, appeared to violate Google's terms of service regarding the sharing of personal pers persistent identifiers, which provide unique information that can be associated with an individual over time and across 
platforms, apps, or devices. 40% of the apps in the study shared users' personal information via the Internet without applying reasonable security measures. These users are children, remember. Of the 1,280 apps included in the study that integrated with Facebook, 92% did not correctly utilize the company's configuration options to protect users under 18. Among the apps cited by them for violating the law, potentially, were the language learning app Duolingo and a suite of fun kid racing games made by a company called Tiny Lab. Thank you, Tiny Lab. All told, about 50% of the apps, more than 50% actually, were, anal- were that were analyzed were potentially violating the law. The numbers were not appreciably better for apps that were certified to be compliant with the law via an industry self-regulation program known as Safe Harbor. The authors of the study took pains to note that their study does not claim definitive legal liability for the makers of those apps, probably because their lawyers told them to take pains. Don't take pain pills, take pains. A COPPA expert consulted by Education Week questioned whether the law actually applies to many of the mobile apps included in the study. The spokesman for Google, spokesperson, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. This is an important study because it sheds light on the invisible background collection of information about users that many people in education are not aware of, says Douglas Levin of EdTech Strategies, a consulting group that has looked closely at the issue of ad tracking on school district and state education websites. It would be warranted, says Levin, for the Federal Trade Commission to pursue these findings and make a clear statement about the legality of this kind of tracking. Unquote. Assuming that the Federal Trade Commission were awake. The the, uh, researcher Eagleman described a lack of will among all parties as the major barrier to better protections for children's online privacy. Mobile app developers appear to be quite sloppy when determining whether third-party services are protecting children's information, he said. In turn, those third parties don't appear to be checking whether they're receiving children's information from the app's they integrate with. And Eagleman said big companies such as Google and Facebook often are taking even the most basic steps to try to limit others' collection and sharing of children's information on their platforms. Ultimately, he said, the reason why no one really cares is because there's no enforcement. While we cannot definitively know whether or not those third parties are using the information for practices violated by the law, such as behavioral advertising, their terms of service and privacy policies suggest that violations are likely, says the study. But in an email, a spokesman said Duolingo is an online service directed at a general audience, indicating the company does not believe it is subject to the law, even though it opted in to the designed for families section of the Google Store. The spokesman also noted the third-party service it shares information with is to fix bugs and provide data on crashes, not advertising. From a practical perspective, says Levin of EdTech Strategies, the researchers have highlighted just how significant the children's online privacy challenge is in the mobile age. Nothing dumber, ladies and gentlemen, than a smart world. 
conclusion I personally reach when I read the trades for you, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, this week, you know, um, if uh, you were following the news in the United States at all. And if not, why not? We're number one. The uh, longtime personal attorney of uh, (laughs) President Trump, Michael Cohen, was in in the spotlight. He was he was the deer in the headlights this week. Uh, he was, um, you know, the federal uh, law enforcement had conducted a raid on his home, hotel room, you know, in case he wasn't at home, and his office, in case he wasn't at his hotel, um, a couple of weeks ago. Dragged away a, 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 a few truckfuls of stuff, hardware, software, maybe even underwear. But this week, um, he pulled out of his uh, defamation lawsuit against BuzzFeed because he has this other thing. Uh, Stormy Daniels' attorney, you may have seen him on television even, uh, has said that uh, he thinks Michael Cohen, who's involved in the uh, legal action, trying to shut up Stormy Daniels because he's the guy who paid her $130,000. Out of his own pocket, apparently. Donald Trump knew nothing about it. So uh, Stormy Daniels, Daniels' lawyer had said he thought Michael Cohen, after the raid, that Michael Cohen was likely to be indicted within 90 days. Michael Cohen's own attorney, because sure, attorneys have attorneys, just like pimples have pimples. Uh, Michael Cohen's own attorney used that same estimate in court this week in trying to delay a uh, legal action by Stormy Daniels and her attorney. Because he said, you know, he's, he's got this other thing brewing with the feds. He had been challenged by the judge in uh, a federal case, Judge Kimba Wood, whose name might ring a bell for uh, fans of the Bill Clinton administration, the only Clinton administration, um, he had been challenged by the judge to name his clients because he was claiming attorney-client privilege over all the stuff that the feds had seized. And on Monday of this week, this past week, we knew that uh, he claimed Donald Trump as one of his clients and a certain Mr. Brady, a former um, finance official at the Republican National Committee, who apparently had paid, paid off a playboy, a playmate, I think. Um, but the mysterious third client, was revealed in court as TV conservative talk show host Sean Hannity, although Hannity, on his own show, denied that Michael Cohen had ever been his lawyer. Maybe he's still searching for that client. I was in a really bad way. Bill collectors were hounding me. My salary was attached. Then... I picked up the phone and called Cohen and Cohen. They said they were going to take our house. So I picked up the phone and flipped them the Cohen bone. My friends across the fruited plain, I've had so many drive-by haters coming at me through the years. Nothing really stopped it until I picked up the gold phone and called Cohen and Cohen. Hey, I'm Michael Cohen. With the exception of the first two, those were real people sharing their real experience of the cone and cone difference. What is that difference? When you've got a problem and you call us, we don't deal with it. 
we crush it. We hammer it into little pieces. We burn the pieces and we trash the ashes. There's no sign a problem was ever there and nobody around who remembers it. And the Cohen and Cohen difference isn't just available to the big shots and the hot shots. It's available to pitchers like you too for a limited time because I'm trying to fill out my client list before the big spring inventory. So take it from me, it would be a privilege to represent you, literally. Just one phone call gets the law firm the junkyard dogs are scared of. And when you call Cohen and Cohen, you don't get shuttered over to a dozen partners and paralegals. That's right, there's only one Cohen on the phone. That's me. So problem, flip them the Cohen bone. 1-800-Cohen-Bone. Michael Cohen's not my lawyer. But I don't see any reason why he couldn't be. And neither should you. Like I say, make the other side moan. Call Cohen and Cohen. Ask for Cohen. And tell him Cohen sent you. Or else.
exactly like you planned it But like Murray, my accountant, told me yesterday I owe it all to you Bernie tells me what to do Bernie lays it on the block Bernie says we sue, we sue Bernie says we sign From Santa Monica, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Uh, Speed Skating Canada. Did you know? Yes, of course it would be such a thing. Has fired the head coach of Canada's long track speed skating team. Michael Crow went on a leave of absence a month before the Pyeongchang Olympics in uh, South Korea. At that point, the organization conducted an internal investigation. He did not accompany the Canadian team to South Korea. Speed Skating Canada didn't specify the nature of its investigation. Former American speed skaters claimed last January that Crow had sexual relationships with some skaters on that team while he was a U.S. coach. So why not move across the the 64-year-old from Butte, Montana? I said Butte was a coach on the American team from 1983 to 1991 and again from 1999 to 2006 before jumping across the border. These Americans are killing us. Following a review of the investigation completed in mid-March, Speed Skating Canada has made the decision to part ways with Mr. Crow, said the organization in a statement. Given confidentiality obligations, no further details will be provided on this matter. Our athletes, the statement went on, our athletes, coaches, office, staff, and volunteers deserve and expect to train and compete in an atmosphere of security, respect, and professionalism. The management of Speed Skating Canada is committed to moving forward. Crow began working with the Canadian team in 2007, head coach in 2015. The Code of Conduct, which has been in place since 1999, states that coaches at no time become intimately and or sexually involved with their athletes. The organization did not say whether Crow had violated its Code of Conduct. Maybe he was just selling aluminum siding out the back door. World Sailing, meanwhile, claimed that during the General Assembly of the Association of Summer Olympic International Federations, the ASOIF, that Tokyo 2020 is one year behind with its preparations. This is according to InsideTheGames.biz. Around 10 world-governing body representatives raised concerns with different aspects of progress. little more than two years to go until the Olympics are due to start. The World Baseball Softball Confederation, they got together, also expressed serious concerns in scenes which conjured memories less severe ones of the repeated criticisms made of Rio 2016 preps. World Sailing Executive Andy Hunt cited the course itself at Enoshima Yacht Harbor as one of a number of problems. Planning process has been extremely challenging, he said. The organizing committee are at least one year behind where they should be. Our challenges include not having confirmed field of play with problems involving fishing fleets in Enoshima. We don't have a security plan. 
We don't, have a, we don't have an acceptable test event plan for 2019 or a firm plan for equipment. In addition, there is a serious gap in understanding in the organizing committee over what is required to deliver an Olympic sailing competition. He called the IOC to address these issues with utmost urgency. World Sailing meeting in Tokyo to discuss the problem. Tokyo 2020 didn't deliver a detailed response, but emphasized their commitment to work together and address all concerns. The baseball softball president reiterated the concerns about the format as well as the logistical factors raised by the challenge of holding games in Fukushima. You know, because it's hot there. And I don't mean the temperature. But it's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the news regarding <laughs> President Trump and uh, Michael Cohen included a number of reports this week from supposedly inside White Housey, White Housey sort type sources that the president was in a rage. Has, they've never seen him madder than over the FBI raid on Michael Cohen's house, hotel, and hotel room and office. Uh, and that has led many to either opine, speculate, or report, depending on your, depending on their sourcing, that the president and his uh, close associates are far more apprehensive about where that investigation will lead than about the Robert Mueller probe into alleged ties between the, or collusion, or influence between the Russian government and the Trump campaign in 2016. That despite the fact that the Democrats, the Democratic National Committee filed a lawsuit this week against Russia, go sue Russia. <laughs> I know that people have been yelling that, but uh, they, they went and did it. Uh, but back to <laughs> President Trump. Again, reportedly much more concerned about Michael Cohen. The reports have been, have included speculation on the part of uh, friends of Trump and those who know Michael Cohen regarding the likelihood or lack thereof that he would, quote, flip. That is to say, when faced with a possibility of many years in jail, he's, I guess, only in his 50s now, and he's got a wife and kids looking forward to um, what some report as multiple the possibility of multiple decades in prison. Um, many have speculated that uh, he would choose to turn on his longtime friend, long t- the, the object of his longtime loyalty, the president. Uh, Maggie Haberman in the New York Times with, with a couple of colleagues reported at the weekend that added to that uh, apprehension possibly is a fact that the New York Times reported, uh, uh, quoting Roger Stone, longtime dirty trickster and uh, sometime advisor to Trump, I think in that order, that uh, Trump has gone out of his way to treat Michael Cohen like garbage. Karma, the karma train may be pulling in, you know, on a distantly related topic. The Washington Post this week published 
a uh, column by a reporter who uh, in 1984 was working for the Wall Street Journal. This came as news to a lot of people who hadn't been paying attention to Donald Trump over the last 30 years. Uh, This reporter had uh, been rummaging around, apparently in his own stuff, and found a tape recording he'd made of a telephone conversation he had with John Barron, a person who identified himself as John Barron and purportedly was uh, Donald Trump's PR man, was trying to, uh, off the record, convince this reporter that Donald Trump really was worth enough money to be included in the Forbes 400 list of the richest Americans. And uh, that reporter wrote that uh, he was conned. He thought himself a... um, a perceptive observer of the financial scene, but uh, he saw saw in retrospect that he'd been conned, that uh, Trump at the time was trying to claim he was worth $400 million and probably was worth about $4 million. Well, it's, they both got fours in them. The president had reportedly called Cohen a week ago to express his support of Cohen and, and apparently has been advised by his lawyers since then not to uh, try to contact Cohen directly. And um, so at the weekend, he had uh, tweeted a couple of uh, messages of support to Cohen publicly, which uh, reportedly, according to uh, some legal experts, is uh, a lot safer legally than uh, trying to contact him privately, at least directly. Hello, this is Michael. Leave a damn message. Hi, Michael. Very brief, outgoing message. Very businesslike. You, you cut out the swearing and the threats. Good for you. This is John. Ba- I was going to say it's Barron. That's out of habit. I used to work for him. As you know, this is John Miller. I'm on my own now as a uh, public uh, communications consultant, still like you, working on the Donald Trump account, Pro Friggin Bono. Although uh, he doesn't know I'm leaving this message. He hasn't asked me to call. I'm doing this as a friend. You know better than anyone how that works. If he knew about this, he'd probably kill me. But just a friendly call. Out of the blue, off the top of my head, it'd be great if you could maintain your position that nobody's done anything wrong ever. You know, obviously we don't know what the FBI has. Maybe you do. Mr. Trump trusts me to not know things that I don't need to know. And also, he would really kill me if I brought this up. There is, of course, as you know better than anyone, still a non-disclosure agreement that you signed a long, long time ago. Terrific agreement. It's still valid and enforceable at law, of course. That's the last thing in the world he'd want you to be thinking about at a time like this. You've got enough problems. But I can tell you this. Some of the new attorneys on his staff who don't know you that well and who don't have the loyalty to you that he does, thank God this thing is still recording anyway, they're hard as bulldogs on the subject of the NDAs, and they think it's uh, my my client's first line of defense. And, of course, it's so unfair, this, this whole witch hunt, not to, not to Mr. Trump, of course, because he's one of the strongest men I've ever known. You know that. But, you know, to Don and Eric and Ivanka, I mean, they're getting so much abuse now. They go overseas and people barely talk to them about anything with the word Trump on it. I mean, Ivanka is such a smart and beautiful young woman. You know, it's fortunate she's not my type. But it's also unfair to you. And if Mr. Trump, through his thoughts, or even this message could make you strong like him. That's what he would want to do. And, of course, your family, what they must be going through and what they would go through if Mr. Trump's bulldogs had their way. So, Michael, if you ever need any communication advice, John Miller, I'm here for you. 
I don't think you have my number, but that's okay. I think I've given you plenty to think about right here. And even if your machine isn't uh, getting tired, uh, I am. So be well, Michael. Be strong. Federal things, as you know, are not that big a deal. Take care. And the trash man scratch your back, do you like it? Does the hip lip make you trip, or do you fight it? Well, do you tend to get the jingles in the jungle? Well, do you find that you're afraid of the maze? And when the man with the plan put the money in your hand, do you hear a little whisper and you say, you better back away?
now, the apologies of the week. Think of it. We're so sorry. There's a controversy in Great Britain over uh, the people of what's called the Windrush generation. Windrush was a ship that brought a lot of immigrants from the Caribbean to Great Britain after World War II. They settled in Britain. They raised families in Britain. But uh, the British Home Office, which is uh, like our interior department. No, it's I don't know what it's like. It's like the Home Office. They uh, got rid of all the landing cards of those people who arrived. So they can't prove when they arrived in Britain. So the government is making noises about deporting some of them. And that's generated a full-throated furore, as they say in Britain, which has resulted in this apology from Prime Minister Theresa May. I take this issue very seriously. The Home Secretary apologised to the House of Commons yesterday for any anxiety caused. And I want to apologise to you today uh, because we are genuinely sorry for any anxiety that has been caused. That's uh, an apology with a lot of photographs. The latest fraternity to be suspended by Syracuse University issued a formal apology this week in which it acknowledged the production of a racist video that was intended as a spoof. It's with profound embarrassment and disappointment in ourselves that we find our fraternity in this situation. Instead, the statement from Theta Tau, anyone of color or of any marginalized group who has seen this video has every right to be angry and upset with the despicable contents of that video. Each year, the fraternity asks new members to roast older members. One of these brothers is a conservative Republican. The new members roasted him by playing the part of a racist conservative character. It was a satirical sketch of an uneducated, racist, homophobic, misogynist, sexist, ableist, and intolerant person. The young man playing the part of this character, nor the young man being roasted, do not hold any of the horrible views espoused as a part of the sketch. None of the satire was said or done in malice. Well, that's their first problem. The frat said, we cannot apologize enough. Or at all, no, enough, for the pain, sadness, and fear that this has caused. Our heart breaks. You don't want to break a fraternity's heart, ladies and gentlemen. When we see the protests and congregations, when we see the pain that our brothers have caused, unquote. The video made public by the student newspaper showed members of the engineering fraternity. Oh, well, they'll be joining the Corps of Engineers anyway, so using racist, ethnic, sexist slurs and other offensive language while pretending to perform sexual acts on one another. The chancellor of the university, Kent Siverud, not Severide, called the student's conduct extremely troubling and disturbing and arousing. No. Dateline Sydney, Australia, an Australian inquiry into financial sector misconduct claimed its first scalp. The CEO of the country's largest wealth manager stepped down over revelations of board-level deception and misappropriation of funds. The departure of Craig Meller came as the government vowed to double prison terms for financial crimes. Went from one day to two dramatically increase penalties and ramp up the investigative powers of the corporate regulator, following shocking admissions of misconduct to the Royal Commission inquiry. Not only has the start of the year-long inquiry been a publicity disaster for Australia's major banks, it's put the conservative government in a tight spot. The uh, company AMP had its executives admitted testimony this week that the company had lied to the corporate watchdog for almost a decade to cover a practice of charging customers for services it did not provide. That's a good business, though. Chairman Catherine Brenner issued an unreserved apology for, quote, misconduct and failures in regulatory disclosures in our advice business as she announced a review of the company's governance. 
A nurse gave tearful testimony about losing her home after taking advice from Westpac Banking. Lawyers presented evidence that Commonwealth Bank of Australia, the country's biggest, knowingly charged dead clients for advice for years. Dead man can't ignore advice. A charter school located north of downtown San Antonio is apologizing to parents and students after a teacher issued an assignment to students asking them to describe the negative and positive aspects of slavery. Well, free food. Well, one student wrote not applicable on the side of the uh, exam labeled positive aspects. The school responded agreeing with parents saying there is no debate about slavery. It is immoral and a crime against humanity. In a statement by the school's superintendent, Our review of the situation found this incident to be limited to one teacher at just one campus. It was a clear mistake. We sincerely apologize for the insensitive nature of this offense. The school has placed the the teacher on leave or the leaver on teach while they investigate. The history book that's used in the class has also been removed and may be replaced. You know those Texas history books. A young man in a white jail jumpsuit looked past the throng of reporters pointing microphones toward his face, answering questions. He's a student in Oak, or was a student in Ocala, Florida. I shot through the door, he said, looking at a female reporter who asked about his connection to the student who'd been shot. I didn't kill anyone. I didn't kill anyone, he said again. Sky Boucher was being taken to jail. Hours after, authorities said he drove to a high school in Ocala, Ocala Florida, carrying a shotgun hidden in a guitar t- case. Better than a guitar? No, not better then a guitar being hidden in a shotgun case. The 19-year-old, a former student at the school, went to the bathroom where he put on a tactical vest and gloves, then shot one round from his sawed-off shotgun through the classroom door, injuring one student. Investigators say, as he made his way toward the police car, flanked by five uniformed officers, Boucher told reporters, he's sorry to the wounded student. He added, doesn't make it better anyway. Unquote. L.A. Fitness, the branch in Secaucus, New Jersey, because why would you call it Sea Caucus Fitness, has apologized to a longtime member after his encounter for, with employees that resulted in p- police being called by those workers. This is one of a, a couple of stories this week that, doesn't in, that don't involve police misconduct towards African Americans, but rather regular business folks. Shirad, uh, Ch- yeah, Sh- Shirad Oaks posted four videos of Monday night's incident on his Facebook page, told the story of how he was asked to leave while working out using a four-day guest pass. After about a half an hour, an employee told him he had to pay to work out or leave the club because his friend didn't pay. My friend stated to her that he is an active and current member and that his gym tag was in his locker. He felt embarrassed by the harassment of this L.A. Fitness employee in front of other members of the gym. Oates wrote, both Oates and his friend, guess what, are black. The employees called Secaucus police officers. Officers showed up to remove the pair from the club after a manager said Oates was banned and his friend's membership was terminated. Friend in the video says he and Oates are the only two black people in the gym. In a statement, L.A. Fitness said its staff regrettably ramped up the situation by calling police and confirmed the member's longtime membership. The club said it had apologized to the member and said Oates was not banned. Not clear whether this was the local management, or the corporate office. An employee said that the three employees involved had been fired. And, of course, in a related story, one week after they were arrested at a Philadelphia Starbucks, the two black men, seen in a cell phone video viewed more than 11 million times, described how arriving 10 minutes early to a business meeting landed them in handcuffs. 
Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson described their encounter with the white Starbucks manager in Philadelphia who called 911 on them two minutes after they arrived waiting for a third friend. And one of them asked to use the bathroom and was told, no, you can't because you have to buy something. Starbucks executives, including the company's executive chairman, Howard Schultz, and its chief executive, Kevin Johnson, have met with the men to personally apologize and have appeared on television in the wake of the protests outside the Philadelphia location. Schultz said in his statement, I'm, this is the father of Starbucks, you know, the guy who started it, or uh, bought it and built it. I'm embarrassed, ashamed. I think what occurred is represent, reprehensible at every level. I take it personally. and We're committed to making it right. The announcement we made yesterday to do significant training is just the beginning. That announcement was to close all the American Starbucks stores for a day of racial bias training. I guess the international ones, just go head on with uh, whatever you want to do there. Uh, angry passengers and a U.S. senator pressed Sun Country Airlines for answers this week after the regional airline left more than 200 people stranded in Mexico after canceling two flights on Friday due to a Midwest blizzard. Minnesota-based Sun Country, which was scheduled to end its seasonal service to Mexico on that day, refused to put on replacement fight flights or book passengers on other airlines, as, you know, airlines usually do. Passengers were uh, stuck. They had to find their own flights back to the United States. These were our last flights for the season, so we do not have another flight to reaccommodate passengers on. You will receive a full refund, the airline wrote to passengers. These, But flights will need to be purchased on another air, a carrier. We apologize for any inconvenience this may cause. Sun Country made a fuller apology later on Monday after the social media backlash. We cannot apologize enough. There you go. You've heard that phrase before. Today, to those passengers who were hit by the one-two punch of an April snowstorm and the seasonality end date of our winter schedule. Our fleet was already allocated to fly other operations. Unfortunately, we were unable to send additional aircraft. The Washington State Department of Transportation has apologized for an inappropriate message that appeared on one of its traffic signs. The uh, message said, You suck! WSDOT said it was clearly a mistake that was caused by a training error. Philippine Vice President Leni Robredo apologized for her much-criticized photo at the Holocaust Memorial in Germany, said she took full responsibility for it. This was in response to criticism that the photo-taking activity of Liberal Party members at the memorial was disrespectful. There was no excuse, so I would like to apologize for whatever offense to the sensitivities of the people it caused, said Robredo. While there was no malice in it, still I take full responsibility. She said that those who called out members of the party over the photo, which showed her a few of the smiling and sitting on the memorial, designers' represent, representation of tombs, including the vice president, quote, have a point. Now, you know something has changed at Uber after Travis Kalanick Kalon, quit, the founder and uh, abrasive former chief executive, because Uber has apologized to Portland, Oregon, acknowledging missteps since Uber began operating in the city four years ago. The company posted the text of a letter it sent to the city council. It didn't identify the missteps, but uh, the launch came, you know, without approval from city officials. That's so disruptive. Uber then agreed to suspend operations for a few months while the city drafted new rules for a sanctioned launch. Over two years later, the city learned from a reporter that Uber had used software, I believe it's called Greyhound, to identify and avoid regulators trying to catch Uber drivers while the service was operating illegally. The city has fined Uber $3.5 million after the company failed to disclose a security breach that affected more than 1,000 drivers 
in Oregon, and tens of millions of accounts worldwide. Uber has disputed the fine, so, you know, one apology doesn't change everything. The president of the University of Portland, speaking of Oregon, apologized for not doing more when a sexist speech led others to walk out of an awards banquet honoring athletes at the university. A New Jersey community college apologized Wednesday after a professor was caught on camera shouting, F your life, during a debate with a conservative student. The college says it expects to finish its investigation soon and determine an appropriate course of action, not involving the student's life. Baltimore's mayor and police commissioner took the stage during a reunion tour for Eric B. and Rakim, and videos of the appearance uh, posted to social media suggest they didn't exactly get a warm reception. D'Souza, the police commissioner, made a brief speech to say how sorry he was about police have treated black communities since the nation's founding. I want to take almost 20, about 20 seconds to apologize for all the things the police have done dating back 200 years, he said. 200 years ago, all the way to civil rights, all the way to the 80s where crack was prevalent, all the way to the 90s, all the way to the 2000s when we had zero tolerance. I want to take the time to apologize for what policing did. I promise you we're going to make a change in the future. Some people have yelled, have been heard yelling profanities during that appearance. And the Catalonians aren't the only Spaniards who want out of Spain. You may have forgotten about the Basque militant group ETA. It's uh, disbanding after a half century of a violent campaign to create an independent state in northern Spain and southwest France. This week they apologized for the harm caused to victims and their relatives. The group will announce its final dissolution early next month after it ended its armed separatist campaign by surrendering guns and explosives, declared a ceasefire in 2011, and called for reconciliation. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Just briefly, news of bad banks, the latest of a series of scandals to hit the United States' third largest bank. Wells Fargo is going to pay a billion-dollar fine. That's talking to them. Nobody's doing jail time, though. This is as part of a settlement agreed with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. None of the money will go to the victims of the bank's actions. The uh, deal was reached that will... Uh, pay $500 million each to the CFPB and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Well, they could use the money for new... This is the uh, first fine imposed by the CFPB under Mick Mulvaney, appointed by President Trump to take over the Consumer Watchdog Agency last November. It's also the largest penalty imposed by the CFPB in its history. Matches the largest fine ever handed out by the Comptroller of the Currency. The fines relate to the bank's car loan and mortgage customers. Last summer, Wells Fargo admitted that hundreds of thousands of its car loan customers have been sold car insurance they did not require. In countless cases, customers fell behind on their payments as a result of their additional costs. And 
resulted in their cars being repossessed. In a separate case, the bank also admitted that thousands of customers had to pay unnecessary fees in order to lock in their interest rates on the home mortgages. We have more work to do, says Wells Fargo Chief Executive Tim Sloan in a statement, I think an understatement. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over, well, whenever you listen, actually, over the uh, audio device of your choice. Same time if you're listening to Linear Broadcast Radio, which I kind of hope you are, but on your podcast thing, whenever you want it. And it would be just like somebody from Wells Fargo going to jail just for a visit, just, you know, to bring a, a piece of cake if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, shop to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get tar- Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshearer.com. I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer, and the Derek Smalls Lukewarm Water Tour goes to Pittsburgh, Atlanta, and Fort Lauderdale, Florida during the month of June with symphony orchestras in each of those cities. Check uh, with Derek's Twitter feed at Small's Life for more information. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network, so long from the home of the homeless.